I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16 today. And as you're turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, I want to share with you a quote. It's a lengthy quote, but it's a quote nonetheless from Dr. Richard L. Strauss. Um, Dr. Strauss wrote a sermon on Romans 12 verses 14 through 16, and this is the way that he opened his uh, sermon that week that he gave that sermon, and I thought it was perfect for today to open our message as well. He says this, I have a dream. Sound familiar? I have a dream. My dream is that I am a genuinely nice person, kind, considerate, thoughtful, sympathetic, accepting, tolerant, patient, helpful, friendly, generous, forgivable, and forgiving, humble, and totally unselfish. I dream that I am able to reach out and minister lovingly, even to people who don't like me, with more concern about their needs than my own feelings. I dream that I don't have any hard feelings towards people who have hurt me and have no desire for them to get what's coming to them, but actually long to see God's blessings on their lives. I dream that I am able to feel genuinely happy when one of my peers gets more honor than I do, especially when it's honor that I think I deserve. I dream that I can look for areas of agreement with people who think radically different from the way that I think, rather than try to prove that I am right and they are wrong. I dream that I can look at the lowest ranking human being and not feel the least bit superior to him, but see him as one created in the image of God and realize that he can make some valuable contribution to my life. Do you know what? That's the impossible dream. I'm so far from that high and lofty ideal that I'm afraid I'll never get anywhere near it. And yet, that's God's goal for my life. Now, those are the very things that the Apostle Paul tells us that should characterize our life as a believer. That's what true Christ-like love looks like. That has been the major subject of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Now, last week we looked at verses 9 to 13, and we looked at what unhypocritical love or sincere love looks like. Last week in Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, we talked about love primarily for other Christians or fellow members of God's family. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 16, Paul branches out and he takes a look at all human beings in general, how believers should love believers and non-believers. He suggests four things that we'll do if we truly and sincerely love like Jesus loved. And one of the things that impressed me more than anything else as I studied these, these four things is that I feel like they are impossible, right? These four things are impossible. I, I don't know if I could ever do this. And that's true. We can't do them. Unless we do what Paul's already taught us to do back in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which is to yield our bodies as a living sacrifice and allow the Spirit of God to transform us by the renewing of our minds. 
then mission impossible can actually become mission accomplished. So we're going to read our theme verses together again this week before we look at our scripture passage for this week. And uh, we're going to see them together. So I invite you to say Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 along with me. Here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, with that being said, we're going to just jump right into this week's scripture passage. It's only three verses. So uh, if you'll look at verses 14 to 16, we'll go ahead and look at those. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. So in our scripture passage for today, Paul mentions these four ways that we can show true or sincere Christ-like love. And we can express this love to the, the world at large, right? Not just to other believers, but to everybody. And the first way that we can express true Christ-like love to those around us is by seeking the best for those who harm us. That is not easy. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now, to bless someone or to bless people is to ask God to send them his favor, to give them peace and to allow them to prosper. On the other hand, to curse someone is to ask God not to send them his favor. Ask God to um, maybe even intervene and, and send something terrible into their lives. Think of someone who has made life unpleasant for you. Think of someone who makes life unpleasant at every chance they get for you. A teacher who always picks on you and blames you for things that other people do. People who seem to have it in for you, and they criticize you and make you look bad at every chance. An ex who is out to get you, takes advantage of you at every opportunity, and tries to make life miserable for you. A boss who doesn't like you, who gives you all the toughest jobs to do, and then gripes about the way that you do those jobs. Fellow workers who constantly challenge your opinion and make you feel stupid and worthless. Neighbors who are always, always complaining about something that you're doing wrong. Letting your leaves fall in their yard, letting your dog bark too long, letting your kids trample on their flowers, parking your car in front of their house, or whatever. I've had people like that in my life. People who have willfully distorted what I've said and tried to put me in a bad light. People who have gossiped about me and spread false rumors uh, talked about me behind my back, people who have criticized me severely and misjudged my motives. And I have to tell you, I don't feel very kindly towards them. I don't remember asking God to lavish his favor on them or to send them peace or to prosper them. Frankly, I would have been just as happy if they had something terrible happen to them. So is Paul really serious about this? Am I supposed to pray for God's blessings in their lives? That's impossible. Impossible, that is, unless 
We've yielded our wills to Christ and we've been transformed by the changing of our thinking patterns and we have allowed the Holy Spirit to renew our minds through the Word of God. Now, it's perfectly human to want some harm to come to them. It is perfectly human response to um, uh, feel negative. That's the way people of the world think, right? That's the way our sinful human nature responds. If someone has mistreated us, we don't think highly of them. And the only way that we can respond any differently is to keep drinking in the Word of God, to keep consuming the Word of God, studying it with an open mind, allowing it to expose our shortcomings, and letting it mold us and shape us into the people that God wants us to be. So we need to adopt God's point of view. For one thing, we need to remind ourselves of how much God has forgiven us and blessed us in spite of how hateful and hurtful we can be. It would also be good to remember how we want others to forgive us and to be nice to us even though we've hurt them. It also might be helpful to think about how God has forgiven that person and uh, ask ourselves if God has forgiven them, shouldn't we? And if that doesn't change our attitude, we might try putting ourselves in their shoes. And we may end up feeling genuinely sorry for them and begin to pray for God's best in their lives and actually mean it. We might actually take steps towards helping secure that blessing in their lives. We may even do some nice things for them. Many of you have probably read or seen Victor Hugo's play Les Miserables, the story of Jean Valjean, whose only crime was the theft of a loaf of bread to feed his sister uh, and keep her from starving. So after serving 19 years in prison for stealing this loaf of bread, he's released. But as a former convict, he's finding it impossible to get work. So he finally comes to the home of this kindly old bishop who gives him supper and a bed for the night. Now, yielding to temptation, Jean Valjean steals the bishop's silver plates and slips away in the middle of the night with them. But he's soon caught, and he's returned to the bishop's home. I want you to watch this clip and see what happens when he's brought back by the police to the bishop's house, and, and the bishop is told that he has been robbed by Jean Valjean. Let's watch this clip together. Get in there! Put him down! Stay there! Ah. Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become 
an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for Jean Valjean was astounded at such kindness from the bishop that it changed his life. That's seeking the best for those who harm us. God can use our willingness to bless those who wrong us, to draw them to the Savior and transform their lives. That was the example that he himself set for us as he suffered on Calvary's cross. He said in Luke 22, or 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he taught us to do likewise. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 44, he said, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Ask yourself, am I willing to be like Jesus? I know it sounds like the impossible dream, but it is possible if we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds with the Word of God. We show our love by seeking the best for those who harm us, but that's not all. We also show our love by sharing the joy and the sorrow of others. Romans 12:15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's no better way to show love to anyone, whether it's a friend, a casual acquaintance, or even an enemy, than to feel with them and to share in their emotions, whether that be happy emotions or sad emotions. I think Paul must have put rejoice with those who rejoice first because it's so much more difficult to do. It isn't very hard to weep with those who weep. When someone is struggling and they're crying, if you don't believe me, watch a sad movie. You're probably going to end up crying right along with the main characters because you feel their emotions. Our hearts naturally go out to people who are suffering pain or loss. We can put ourselves in, the, in their shoes. We can feel their pain because we may have even experienced that pain. I guess there are times when we do let our sound theology get in the way of expressing true empathy. We might be um, thinking things like, you know, God is sovereign, he's in control of every circumstance, and that he, he never lets anything happen to his children, but what's best for them, um, that he works all things together for their good, that those who die in Christ enter his presence and enter his presence are far better off than we who are here, that God will raise them up someday and reunite them joyfully um, in his presence. All of those things are true. But don't let them stop you from endeavoring to feel the pain that suffering people are feeling. Not just spouting off uh, these pious platitudes like, don't worry, be happy, things will be okay, everything's fine. Um, as true as they may be, those do not bring comfort to anyone. But just being there and trying to share the hurt with them um, is really all that, that it takes to really show sincere love. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. That one can be tougher, believe it or not. 
So what was your first response when your closest friend got the test scores they needed to get into the program that you wanted to get into but didn't? How did you feel when you were passed over for a promotion and salary increase and it, it was given to someone else that you felt was less deserving than you? Or when your friends, who are incredibly irresponsible handling their money, inherited a bundle of money from a family member, and you, who are careful with every single penny, you give generously to God's work, and you've received nothing. Now, I'll tell you how you probably felt the same way that the rest of us would feel. Jealous, envious, selfish, confused. It's not fair might be something that we think. Uh, I deserve it more. You might not say that out loud, but you might feel it. Nobody gives me the credit that I deserve. Why don't good things happen to me? Why don't I ever get a break? And then there are those people who make it especially hard for us to rejoice with them because while they're rejoicing, they also seem to be bragging about their brilliant performance and their exceptional abilities or gloating over their good fortune. It's not reasonable to ask me to rejoice with them. In fact, it's not even possible. Not possible, of course, unless we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, unless we are learning to think as God thinks. It might be good to remind ourselves that they are family, fellow members of the family of God. And if they're not fellow members of the family of God, maybe that blessing in their life will draw them closer to God. We can usually rejoice when good things happen to family members, it might also be good to remember that we're members of the same body, the body of Christ. When my mouth enjoys a nice, juicy steak, the rest of my body does not get jealous. My foot does not say, how dare my mouth taste that juicy steak. The other members rejoice right along with it. And the same thing can be true of the spiritual body. Furthermore, don't forget that God has sent that good thing, whatever it is, into that person's life. It's part of his sovereign plan for them to have it. To resent it is to resent what God is doing in their life. Even if they are unbelievers, God is in control of their life and he has allowed it to happen. And to rejoice with them may be just the thing that draws them to the Savior. Yes, I know that it seems impossible to do. It's just as tough for me as it is for you. But we can do it if we yield our wills to God and we allow our minds to be transformed by the word of God. It's all part of sincere Christ-like love. So seeking God's best for those who harm us, sharing in the joys of others and in the sorrows of others um, are true expressions of God's love. But there's a third and that expression of Christ-like love is living in harmony with those around us. Romans 12, 16, the first part of it says, be of the same mind toward one another. So it literally translates thinking the same thing as one another. But it has the idea of agreeing with each other and living in harmony with one another. Paul may have specifically been thinking about believers here as he thought about the effect that our agreements or disagreements with each other may have on the world around us. And let's face it, not all believers are very easy to get along with. 
I know I'm easy to get along with, right? We've all heard the little ditty that goes, to dwell with saints in heaven above, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell with saints on earth below, now that's a different story. It's so easy to pick things, uh, pick at things that we don't agree with and to magnify our differences and to find fault with people who see things differently than we do. Some people experience tension and strife in every part of their lives. Their homes, their marriages, their jobs, their churches, their recreational activities. And they aren't bright enough to figure out that maybe I'm the problem. They're still blaming the conflicts on everybody else. Maybe the problem is that they don't like themselves very much. So they try to establish their significance by making major issues out of trivial things and insisting that they are right. I love Peter Marshall's prayer. He says, Oh God, when I am wrong, make me easy to change. And when I am right, make me easy to live with. For some of us, that seems almost impossible. And it is unless we are willing to allow our minds to be transformed by the word of God. It would help if we would remember that our significance isn't found in our acceptance or our approval by others or in our success by human standards. It isn't found in being right or in winning arguments or in having things go our way. It's found in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we understand who we are in him, we have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And that frees us to live in harmony with those around us. So we show our Christ-like love by seeking the best for those who harm us, by sharing in others' joys and sorrows, by living in harmony with those around us, and finally, by avoiding a proud and haughty spirit. Look at the second part of verse 16. It says, Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Now, Paul turns his attention to pride and snobbishness because those traits are particularly destructive to unity and harmony in our relationships with each other. So Paul's asking us not to put ourselves above anyone else, but to associate freely with ordinary or unimportant people as well as the outcasts of society and to do it without any trace of patronizing or condescending spirit. But how is that possible? Well, let's face it, some of us have certain gifts and abilities that other people just don't have. Some of us have certain cultural or educational advantages that others just don't have. We may hold more prominent or influential positions. We may hold higher degrees than other people. We may be above other people through our jobs. So how can we not look down on them? Be honest about it. Do you have a tendency to look down on people in lowly jobs? Or people who have bad hygiene? Or people who are active in their addictions? Maybe you subconsciously look down on those who are homeless. Don't you have a tendency to avoid certain kinds of people? Wouldn't you rather hang out with people who have made it in life, people of fame or wealth or power or influence, people who inspire you? If you had your choice of whom you could have dinner with today, this afternoon, 
a poor Mexican immigrant family who just arrived from below the border. They have torn clothes. They obviously have not had a shower or bath in at least three weeks. Um, or a world-famous Christian musician. Whoever your favorite Christian musician is, they're on their way to a huge concert at, at the arena, and they say, I want to come over and have a chat with you. Which one would you rather sit down with? I, I think if we were all honest, there, there isn't much doubt, right? I mean, we're not being graded on this by God. This is just an honest question. Who would you rather spend an afternoon with? I think that's exactly the kind of thing that Paul's talking about here. That's being wise in our own opinion, but foolish from God's perspective. We need to change the way that we think. We need to renew our minds with the word of God. For instance, it would be helpful to remember that every human being is equally valuable to God. Every single one of us. Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Even the most uncivilized native in the darkest corners of the earth and the vilest, most ruthless criminal on death row. He loves them. He died for them. They are important to him. How can we put ourselves above anyone else? And the least prominent member of the body of Christ is highly honored in his sight. It's interesting to note that right after teaching this truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul went on immediately to say that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. You see, recognizing the importance and value of others contributes to unity and harmony. And whenever there's a conflict or strife, you can be sure that pride is most likely at the root of it. Now, some of you are in difficult situations right now. Failing marriages, crumbling friendships, hard feelings towards people who have hurt you. You have conflict on the job or with your neighbors. You know the situation would improve if you could become the loving person that God wants you to be and really care about these other people. But it seems impossible. I say to you, open your heart and open the word of God. Will you yield your life to Jesus Christ? Will you yield your will to him? Will you let the Holy Spirit take control? And then will you begin to fill your mind daily with the word of God, with the concepts of God? Drink in the word and then step out in faith and obey the word of God. He will bring healing and reconciliation where there is hurt and alienation. He can do that, and he will do that if we allow him to. He will make you the person that God wants you to be, and your impossible dream will become possible. God bless. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Love one another. Be good, and go get your kids. That's right. Don't leave